Welcome to Last Ones at the Bar, the show where we focus our conversations exclusively on the sport of boxing. My name is Wilton Henry. Vel couldn't make it this week, but we look forward to having him back on our next show. And per usual, I got the Seven City Shark, Daniel Lee, with me. Daniel, what's the deal? Hey, I'm feeling good, bro. You know, we had the UFC last night. We didn't have a whole lot of boxing, so I got a good night's sleep. So I'm fully charged for this one. How you feeling? Man, I'm good, man. I'm, you know, I'm excited. I'm especially excited today because we got our special guest with us. You know, we got a good brother, you know, who has a nice upcoming YouTube platform, Ty Finney. Ty, what it, what it do? Going on, man. Salute to everybody, man. Glad to yeah. be a part of the channel. Yeah, man. Thank you, you know, for joining us today. You know, welcome to the show. For sure, for sure. Yeah, fellas, before we get started, you know, how's the week? How's everything been going? My week was pretty good. It was it was a short week, but it felt like a long one. You know, we was coming off the holiday. You know, it was pretty good, though. It just, you know, we're in our busy season at work. And, you know, just between that and training and, you know, other stuff I have going on in the background, it was busy, but I was ready for that weekend, man. Yeah, how about you, Ty? Man, um, the weekend was good, but... Uh... I was definitely, I was definitely looking to uh, watch the fights, but you know, it's called off to the Queen passing. So rest in peace to the Queen. But you know, we got the fight scheduled for the 15th. So you know, the 15th definitely going to be a, a heavy night for boxing fans. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, not that you fell his ass, but you know, my week was pretty busy, especially yeah. early. Man, I um, I ended up having to do something on his back to school night. The crazy thing is, we were coming off a four day weekend. But then we have back to school night. So how that works is that you got the parents, they come up to the building from six to eight. And so by that time, you know, I get up in the morning around 4.30 and I get my workout in. And so I get to school about seven, no later than 7.30. And so you talking about like a 13 hour day, you know what I mean? And for me, you know, when I have, you know, take a job, you know, for instance, the job that I just accepted a couple of years back, they asked me, they said, uh, you have anything that you want to, you know, tell us, you know, before this interview is over? And I said, well, I'm going to be honest with you. I said, I see that you, we supposed to work eight hours a day. And, um, but I'd say this, you know, if you need somebody to work eight hours, I can give you 10, but I see that you had this back to school night. That's 12 hours. If you need somebody to work 12 hours, I can give you 10. So saying all that to say, man, I was mentally exhausted after that 10 hours. <laughs> I don't know what I was saying to them parents, but you know, it seemed like it worked out well. But let's get off into the show, fellas. And, and uh, Ty, you mentioned just a second ago that you know you had the passing of the queen out there in the UK. Right. And you know, you got we were supposed to have the much anticipated Clarissa Shields versus Savannah Marshall. Michaela Meyer versus Alicia Baumgart fight. You know, what do you, what do you guys think, you know, or thoughts on, you know, the postponement of that fight? So from what I saw, it was the British Boxing Board of Control that made the official decision, you know, and then from there, the promotional company, Boxer, you know, announced the decision and then they set that tentative date for the 15th of October. So, you know, I respect why they want to do it. Other sports did go on, you know what I mean, outside of that. And so, you know, I don't know if it would have affected viewership in the UK, but, you know, without trying to understand the angle, if there was an angle to that, I will say that, you know, I respect the decision. I don't have much else other than that. 
it's understandable, you know, um, in boxing, unfortunately, we have, you know, we have setbacks, you know, injuries happen and stuff like that happens all the time. But, uh, you know, it, it is a setback. You know, I kind of feel bad for, you know, uh, Carissa Shields and, you know, uh, Alicia Baumgartner uh, and Mayor all flying over there. I know, I'm sure they all did a lot of training. But, you know, it's just a minor setback. Like I said, it's, the fight's not off. You know, it's just postponed. So I'm sure, I'm sure you know, the train, uh, they're still going to be training hard. And, you know, we got just a little over a month for the uh, well, you know, for all of us to see the fight. Yeah, my thoughts, I was totally, I was really upset. I was down, you know what I mean, at the fight card being postponed. But that's not my politics, though. You know what I'm saying? So you, right. you're talking about another country and what they deem as being important and, you know, the decisions that they make, you know, in their country to postpone things just based on, um, you know, the particular person that passed and their feelings towards that person. So I can understand it, you know, but just as a fight fan in general, you know, I was upset, man. I was waiting to see that fight card. I was so excited about it when it was, you know, put together even before, you know what I mean? Because you had Savannah Marshall, I want to say she was fighting Hemke. And then afterwards, Clarissa Shields got in the ring. Ever since that moment, you know, you just been waiting. The anticipation has been growing. And then for it to be postponed, you know, you just a little bit down. But, you know, it's understandable in terms of, you know, what happened, you know, the previous day. Um, also, you had, you know, some fights this weekend. You know, I don't know if you fellas, you know, had a chance to see the fight card that took place on Saturday. You know, it was a celebrity uh, fight card um, that was put together. You guys have any thoughts on that? Or did you see it? Man, so I saw the highlights mostly and, you know, you, you guys know it. We have a phrase in the boxing world. You don't play boxing. Some of them guys in there playing boxing, man. Somebody can get hurt for real. You know, like this was the most blaring example out of all the celebrity cars that I've seen with, you know, their hands being down, like across the board, like hands being down in the middle of the fight and the most crucial parts of the fight. And a lot of times when those knockouts happen, that did happen. It was because the hands were just down or it was just something, some kind of kink that really should have been worked out in sparring. And so I don't know, you know, who is approving these fights, who is sanctioning them, but these guys got to get in there with and, and spar more and work out those kinks more because somebody, thankfully nobody had like any serious injuries, but somebody's really going to get hurt if they keep going down this route. So you, you saw it, it was more knockouts than just the uh, bail fight? Well, they, they stopped the Swaggy P fight, too. Uh, I'm still not sure. I, I know he got knocked out the ring, um, but I didn't. he didn't get necessarily caught to get knocked out the ring. But his – I don't know if you saw those clips, but his defense, he did some kind of thing where his hands was down. He threw some kind of – you remember that, that game, Ready to Rumble? Mm -hmm. and Afro, he threw one of them Afro Thunder uppercuts and spun around like on some ballerina-type stuff. So I, I knew it wasn't looking good for him. And yeah, when so he got knocked out. Time off. So you saying Swaggy P got knocked out? Out the ring? They stopped the fight? Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, I missed that one. Yeah, I missed that. Yeah. And then the main one, uh, McBroom, um, you know, there was a knockout in that fight. And so, and and he just got caught with it, you know, hands down, got caught, one punch knockout out of there. Like I said, man, them guys can get hurt. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I didn't see the fights, but like, uh, like uh, Daniel said, I just saw. I just saw some of the highlights. But uh, yeah, like 
I have the same question, you know, like who's who's sanctioning and proving these fights, but I understand at the end of the day, you know, every everybody's getting uh, a bag from it, you know. Of course, of course, you know, we got uh Jake Paul that's been doing it for a while now, and you got you got Floyd that's doing all these exhibitions. So I mean, at the end of the day, you know, every everybody's getting paid. But like Daniel said, like these fighters can get hurt. Like we can take uh the Jake Paul and the Nate uh Robinson fight, you know, Nate Robinson got seriously knocked out in that fight. So, you know, when you got these basketball players, UFC fighters, you know, they really, they just really have to, uh, you know, be cautious, you know, definitely protect yourself at all times. Cause you know, you, you can really seriously get hurt. Like they said, they're saying you don't play boxing. One, one uh, quick thing before you go, Will. Another thing that I noticed, I think there is, you know, we kind of have two crowds now, right? We got the boxing crowd and we got the celebrity crowd. And this card didn't do well. We'll get into that in a second. This card didn't do well, like financially, but the celebrity crowd are heavier on like what looks good aesthetically on like Instagram and stuff. And what looks good on there is like doing your pad work, working combos and stuff like that on the pads. But that's not necessarily what's going to win you a boxing match, you know? And so I, again, I just don't know if it's not sparring, but I think that part of that celebrity culture if you're going to incorporate those aesthetics into boxing, you got to follow that up with some fundamentals. You really got to lead off with fundamentals. You can't follow it up with fundamentals, but you know, doing that pad work is just, it's just not enough. Right. Right. Yeah. I didn't see a lot of the fight card yesterday. Um, the one that I was tuning in for or wanted to check out cause I was coming in and out and I was trying to see if the Peterson and bell fight was coming on and then I see, other guys that I wasn't familiar with. So I just step away and do something else. And I just kept returning back to the TV. But after a while, it was just too many fights and it was getting too late. I ended up falling asleep. But then when I woke up, you know, I read the news that Peterson, you know, he was knocked out in the fifth round. So I went and I replayed the fight. So that particular fight, you know, I saw and I just didn't see the skill from either guy. I thought that if Bell probably would have started fighting when he was younger, I could see him, you know, being pretty decent or pretty good because he does have pretty good footwork. It's just throughout the fight, neither he or or nor um, Peterson, they really wasn't landing anything flush. And I don't know, it's the fact that Bell was just good at you know, his movements and whatnot, but it also just Peterson, he's just so basic, you know what I mean? Just with the one-two, the one-two. And then he was kind of nervous about getting hit. Um, but it's like you fellas said, you know, you, you can't play around with the sport. And even those guys who have a helmet on, you know, and they are in some serious collisions at that running back position, it's still a little bit different because you don't get hit on a kisser. Like when Peterson got hit on a kisser, you don't really get hit there in football. You know what I'm saying? So I'm sure all of the time that he's been running the, the, the ball, very few times was he hit in that spot that he was hit. He was dog tired, you know, um, and this is interesting. You mentioned the celebrity part of it. And then you also mentioned like the hardcore box. And then you got to figure out, then you got the running backs. Like this is the third running back that's gotten to the ring. Frank Gore, who was the number three all-time rusher, 1600 yards. You know, he was fighting Darren Williams, you know, not too long ago. I think that was the Jake Paul Whitley undercard that they fought on. And then you got Peterson, 
who's the number five all-time leading rusher with four, over 14,000, almost 15,000 yards. He's in a ring. But I don't know. I don't know why these guys are doing it because I don't know if this is, you know, you look at guys who are up there like an Emmitt Smith. I couldn't see Emmitt Smith getting into the ring. You know what I mean? Like, you just, it's a certain decorum with, with Peterson that, you know, I know that to be as good as he is, that you have to be one to take risks. But at the same time, it kind of like tarnishes your mystique and career. He's like a lot of people's favorite running back of all time. And you just hate to see him in the situation that he was in yesterday when he got caught with that shot. The last thing I'm going to say is uh, it was it was a pretty like sloppy fight. But then Le'Veon Bell, you know, he, he landed that one right hand, you know, that turned Adrian Peterson, you know, into Garrison Hurst because he, he left in the Hurst. You understand what I'm saying? But also, Danny, you mentioned the fact that, you know, as far as the sustainability of this, you know what I mean? What do you think? You think that this is something, how long do you think this is going to continue, I should say? So here's the thing with that card in particular, I didn't see like the final numbers, but I saw there was a reporter outside beforehand, like shortly before the fight started. And he said that as of that, which was not too long before it actually started, that they had sold 200 tickets in an arena that fits 22,000 and they had given away a thousand tickets. And so clearly that's not financially feasible. And so I think that they can be sustainable to answer your question, but the people with the money behind it, they really got to take a hard look at what they're doing. Because, I mean, like, celebrity boxing has happened before. Um, and, you know, it's come and gone. But this current iteration of it started, let's say, 2018, when KSI, you know, he fought Joe Weller. They had that YouTube championship belt. And it was really successful. It had 21 million views. And so, but they were going off of views. You know what I mean? And then they had, uh, you know, he fought Logan Paul. And they rematched Logan Paul, and then Jake Paul fought his brother, then Jake Paul fought him. And these were doing good numbers, first with views and then with actual ticket sales. Because these fighters, these guys, these YouTubers were, like, building up their platform, and they were actually taking the sport seriously. Like, say what you want about Jake Paul, but he's daring to be great. He's basically changing careers and daring to be great at it. And so... You know, I would say the apex of this whole thing was probably when Mike Tyson fought Roy Jones because it was the perfect mix of actual boxers and celebrity boxers. And then they also, you know, they had like, for example, on the Floyd Mayweather car recently, they had fighters like that you may have heard of if you follow boxing, like Badu Jack on the undercard and stuff like that. Now, I think that what has happened is with just like with anything that gets popular, you got people who not only are they not taking the sport seriously, but they're not taking promoting their own fight seriously, you know? And so they're just preserving these big venues and they're charging these box of pay-per-view prices and expecting people to just show up because they have X amount of million of followers. I forget which one it was, but on the main, main event, they had 6 million followers. But if you got 100 of those 6 million followers that's showing up for you, you know, clearly you're, something's wrong in your promotion, how you're promoting the fight um, or things of that nature. And so it's almost like they aren't doing the work, but they want people to show up and they have to get back to, you know, properly promoting a card and making it something that 
both the celebrity and the boxing fans want to see because this was just for the celebrity fans and they didn't show up for it. Um, and so it can't, they just got to take a hard look at what was successful and get back to that formula. I think they will be successful if they fight on uh, professional boxing undercards. Like if they, if they just had celebrity cards all the time, I don't think it would, I don't think it would do well as far as, far as on TV, but like just far as like being in a, like a local city, I think uh, it would sell out for the local city, but as far as doing uh, good numbers on TV, I can't see that happen unless they're fighting on like a, a major pay-per-view card or something like that. But yeah, um, I don't, I don't think they will be successful unless, unless they uh, fight on major uh, boxers undercards. But just as far as the cards itself, I don't think it will do good. Just, just far as, just far as being in the local city, it probably sell, sell the, uh, you know, it'll probably sell out just in the local city. But as far as like. Uh, views on TV, I don't think it would do well. No, this is not sustainable. It's a couple yeah. of reasons. One, it's not going to be sustainable Sustainable because eventually somebody's going to get hurt. And right. that's that's going to curtail the, them putting on this event. So that's one. The other thing is, is that it was a new phenomenon. You know, you had YouTubers going against each other for the first time, KSI, Logan Paul, that sort of thing. So the fascination of it initially garner people's attention. And then the other thing was the pandemic. So you get their attention, the pandemic hits, and then you have Tyson versus Holyfield. You got the Nate um, Robinson, Jake Paul, the sensational knockout, you know, everybody's tweeting about it. And then everybody's wanna see what Jake is gonna do next. And so you had that sort of thing going on. But after a while, you like, you tired of seeing, you know, the same thing, but then they, they pulled out Woodley. So then, you know, Jake Paul, where he was at in his, his the early stages of, you know, showcasing, you know, the, the, the serious right hand that he had. And not only is, is, is he doing that, but he's also good at promoting. He's good at, um, you know, what do they call that? Like uh, just talking about people and stuff like that and, and just getting people's attention, you know, and, you know, that, that kind of, it, it got up to like a climax period. And then you had the sensational knockout that he had in the Woodley 2 fight. But after a while, it's like, I want to see you fight somebody that is better. You know what I mean? I want to, and so he was doing it with the, um, the fight that he was supposed to have against Rockmine. But then that kind of went away, you know what I mean? For whatever reason. And now... Uh, the other reason why I think it's going to go away because I think he's going to lose this next fight and I think he's going to lose it pretty badly. And so once that end up happening, all of the, you know, fanfare that's going towards like looking at Paul fights and things like that, they're going to see him fight somebody who can really fight. And if he's not successful there, then that's going to kind of stymie, you know, that momentum that they have, but it's kind of dying out right now. You know what I mean? As you say, like if they just only sold that amount of, of, of tickets, you know, whatnot, the interest is just not there. But anything that's not really the best dudes fighting the best dudes who can actually fight, you know, it's like you, if you watching some celebrities play basketball or something like that, you know what I mean? You might be interested for a while, you know what I mean? Be like, oh, okay, so-and-so gonna hoop. But then after a while, you wanna see LeBron, you know what I'm saying? You wanna see the dudes who can actually fight. And like I said, coming out of this pandemic, people have too many other options now. You know what I'm saying? It's not the same. It's like when I think when they had that Paul Woodley fight initially, 
people just wanted something to go to or people just wanted to have something that they were interested in because they were so tired of being in the house. You know what I mean? But you don't have that problem anymore. Football is back full throttle. You got baseball. You got, you know, just a plethora of things that you can check out nowadays. You guys have anything else on that? Only thing I'll, I'll add is that, you know, when I think about what sustainable actually means, I think of, like you mentioned Jake Paul's name specifically, and his time may be coming to a close. But when I think about celebrity boxing, you might have somebody, you might have like the 2018 Jake Paul in 2022 that we might not know about yet um, that may be able to take that blueprint and figure out what didn't work and make it work. You know what I mean? Whether it be, you know, like what Ty said, building it into an actual boxing car or, you know, just being creative with it. And so I can see a place where it could work. They just have to be smart with it. And the last thing I would say is that one of the things these guys got to realize in promoting, the thing that Jake Paul did right, you know, for better or worse is like he carry himself in a way that people want to see him get knocked out. You know what I mean? Uh, versus last night, we A, barely knew who they were, and B, they didn't promote themselves. So it led to kind of like an indifference. Like, I don't think either of us cared whether either one got knocked out. They could have they could have knocked each other out at the same time. We'd have been like, oh, okay. Like, you know. Um, and so I, I do think it can be sustainable in that they can somebody else can build on that, but what they can't do is be charging $39.99 for a pay-per-view because I don't know what that was about, but that's all I got. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, Jake Paul is it's is a perfect storm with him because he has that polarizing, you know, type of demeanor where it's either you're gonna be supporting him or you're gonna be like, somebody knock this dude out. Anytime you guys, and he can fight. You know what I mean? He surprises you. You're like, oh, man, he do got a right hand though. You know what I'm saying? So that's the thing, you know, like I say with him, I, I check him out. You know what I mean? I'll be tuning into the, the, the um, Anderson Silva fight. You know, I know a lot of people who aren't. They're like, man, I'm not, I'm not watching that type of stuff. But um, I don't think that you have Jake Pauls that come around that often. People may have it in their mind that they can do what Jake Paul is doing, but he has some skills that, um, I don't think rarely are you going to have YouTube. I think you're going to have some people who are going to come out there who think they can do it. And then once they get out there and they get hit on the kisser, and then that's when it's going to, something's bad is going to happen because man, these dudes, you can't keep like getting clocked upside the head like that. At some point, somebody might like just be in a hospital for a long time or something like that. And people just like, oh man, is he going to make it or something like that? Or just the knockout is just going to be so like blatant, it's gonna be like the dude laying out for like four or five minutes. He may get back and be okay, but it's just that for that moment, you know, everybody's just gonna be like, oh, is he okay? You know what I mean? Because you just can't do that if you're not used to um, like boxing like that. Man, I remember I had a kid I used to teach. He invited me to this fight car that he was a part of and it had a list of like just a whole bunch of of, of fights that was gonna take place. I was living in Grand Prairie, which is in between Dallas and Fort Worth. The fight cart was in Fort Worth. It was not too far from TCU uh, University. So I get there, he, he was scheduled to at like 8.30 or something like that, but they were behind on a schedule. So when I get there, man, they got these little dudes in the ring. They like six years old, like in there fighting. So saying that to say, you have people who, 
from five, six years old training to be a fighter. And then you all of a sudden, you like 29, 30 years old and you trying to first start fighting. Nah, man, it's, it's just that learning curve. You need that, that time to gain that tutelage. And, you know, it's not time for you to be sitting up there, you know, participating in a sport that's deadly already for people who are well-trained. So I'm just concerned more so about that as, as well as I am just the sustainability of it because people are just not going to want to continue to see people fighting with their guards down, you know, looking sloppy, looking crazy. You know, even in that Peterson fight, like had that not been a knockout, that was a boring fight. You like, man, and then just out of the blue, boom, you know, he got caught, you know. What about you, Ty? You got anything else on that? We, we want to move to the next topic. We can go to the next one. Yes, sir. You know, so speaking of that, you know, YouTube sensation Jake Paul, he recently announced that he'll be entering a ring against Anderson Spider Silva out of Brazil. What you guys thinking about that? You know, you think Jake has a chance? I think that's the spider would be, you know, a slight favorite going into that one. I think he has a chance. I do think this is one of the better matches he could have made, especially after everything that happened with his past two like potential opponents. You know what I mean? Uh, Silva, obviously res very respectable in the MMA world, but as a boxer, even at this age, very respectable since 2021, since he's been boxing again, he's 2-0. You know, that includes a win against Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., who's a former world champion. You know, he's 47, so time isn't on his side. But, you know, they agreed upon a catch weight of 187 pounds. That's a fair weight for both of them. Uh, we know that Silva's going to be a professional about it, you know, in terms of showing up, in terms of weighing in properly. Um, and you can tell that Jake Paul is taking it serious because, you know, of the reverence that he's showing for Anderson Silva. You know, there's not a whole lot of antics with it. Um, I do think, you know, Paul has trained seriously, but I think he's going to train really serious for this one, kind of knowing what he's up against. And again, time isn't on Silva's side, but experiences. And I think this is going to be a good test of where Paul is in his boxing journey. You know, he says he wants to become a champion at 175. Um, Silva's going to be slick. Silva's going to present a lot of problems for him, his style is. And so this is, I think this is going to be a good one. And I think this is a good, for his career trajectory for Jake Paul, I think this is this is a pretty good one for him. First of all, uh, big big respect to uh, Jake Paul for taking this fight. Because you know, um, he he got a lot of criticism, you know, for not for not uh, fighting real fighters. But you know, he did he did he was in the uh, negotiations to fight Tommy Fury two times. But of course, that fell out the first time. You know, uh, Tommy Fury had an injury, and then the second time, I believe it was visa issues. And then Hasim uh, Rahman, uh, I believe that fell out just because Hasim uh, Rahman couldn't make weight. You know, he didn't fulfill the contract. So, but yeah, um, far as far as the fight, man. Uh, I would definitely, I would definitely probably go for uh, Jake Paul, basically because he's uh, he's got the youth, and we we seen Jake Paul here before, you know, when he fight uh, Tyron Woodley, and you know he's beat him twice, so he's already he's already been in there with a, a UFC fighter, but but with Silver with Silver having boxing experience on his belt, like uh, uh, Daniel saying he uh, he fought uh, Shavaz Junior and won, but. I just I just feel like uh Jake Paul has the he has a youth on his side and I think that may be too much for uh for Silver. Yeah, um that could be the case. You know what I mean? It's just a couple ways to look at this thing. You know, Jake 
he's going to be in there looking to land that big right hand. You know, when I, I, I looked at Jake's style, you know, I looked at his last few fights and what he typically does is he's looking for that right. You know, he might throw the left a little bit here and there, but if he's not, once he throws the right, he's looking to clinch and hold. And so that's what he was doing against Woodley, where Silva is fluid, you know, slippery. He, he dodges and he rolls shots well. And even when he did get clipped a few time, times against Chavez, he took those shots pretty well from a pretty heavy-handed, you know, puncher. Now, Chavez is, isn't a one-punch guy, but he does have, you know, heavy hands, you know, and he's a big guy. And in that Willie fight for Jake, there was a lot of booing. Like, that first fight, people forget, like, what he looked like in the first fight. He got hurt a little bit. He kind of barely made it to the finish line in that first fight just because he was so gassed. And after he got clipped, he was moving around a lot, you know. And so I keep that in mind when I'm thinking about him facing. Now, he's gotten better. Now, don't get me wrong. And he looked better in the second fight against Willie. But again, there was a lot of booing going on. The fans were getting kind of antsy. Then boom, you know, he landed the big right hand. And the big right hand kind of has people... I think thinking more highly of Jake than what he actually brings to the table at this particular juncture, at this particular stage. I think that this might be a little bit too soon to be taking on Anderson Silva, but I just think the demand, like I said earlier, people want to see him step up more than fighting somebody like Whitley. Now, Whitley doesn't nearly have the skill of an Anderson Silva at all. Whitley it's you put Woodley against Chavez Jr. and Chavez Jr. probably looked like Chavez Sr. You understand what I'm saying? So that that's 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 gonna be um it's it's gonna be interesting to see. You know, like I said, Silva has great reflexes, and if he's able to catch his rhythm, like if Jake doesn't catch him and knock him out early, then it's gonna be a long night for Jake. Because once he gets that machine revved up and he gets you know the engine going then he's going to be like toying with them a little bit. And then on top of that, all of the stuff that I'm saying, as far as him being so fluid, so slippery, being able to dodge punches, he, he can punch really well. Um, he's a lefty too. I don't know how many lefties Jake's, Jake has faced. Not no slippery, slick lefty. So in addition to all of those things that he brings to the table, then that's going to be um, a tough puzzle to solve as well. Now, this is going to be the best fighter that Jake has faced, you know, by far. But on the flip side of that, for Silva, who's three and one with two KOs, this is the youngest, most spry guy that he's faced. So that's the only thing, if I'm Silva, that I would be concerned about is that I'm facing somebody that, that you. But I think the experience. And then Silva, like if you look at his training, Silva looks, he looks very slow. He looks like the car that's in the right lane going 55 in the 70 mile an hour, you know, on the 70 mile an hour highway, you know, as far as his punches right now, I don't know if it'll speed up uh, once he gets well off into training, but he looks a little slow right now, but timing beats speed. And he also has the experience and know-how. I think that Silva will win this probably in about six rounds. So let's go ahead and move on. Man, the last few topics that we had that came out this week, you had, uh, the Gypsy King. The Gypsy King, he called out Anthony Joshua. You know, he's been calling out everybody. You know what I'm saying? He called out Yusey, called him all type of names, you know. And then he's, you know, talking about Chicken Chisor, you know. And then AJ was next, you know, to take the verbal, you know, uh, 
barrage, you know, by the Gypsy King. So he's, you know, calling out AJ, the bodybuilder, and he's telling him, you know, let's go ahead and fight November, December. You know what I mean? You you weren't doing too much in the fight against Usyk anyway. You should be well rested. You know, so you know, come on out to play. You know, what do you think about a potential matchup between Anthony AJ Joshua and the Gypsy King, Tyson Fury? I mean, it makes sense for Fury you know, who was apparently full of crap with all that retirement talk. But for what I was reading, you know, he really wanted to fight Usyk, but Usyk is still recovering from the fight against AJ, and he didn't want to fight until February at the earliest. And, you know, between now and then, AJ is the biggest name that he can get at the moment and for the most money. And so realistically, if Fury isn't planning on fighting much longer, this could be the last chance to sort of maximize the potential of that fight. Um, in term on AJ's side, I don't think this was anything that his camp was expecting, but it does make business sense for them because of the money that could be involved, you know, the Battle of Britain happening in the UK. I don't think anyone is realistically expecting him to win, you know, and so he's coming into this with probably you know, I hate to say it, but the lowest expectations of his career so far, I'm not sure if even he's expecting to win at this point, but from a boxing standpoint, the timing couldn't be worse for him, you know, but from money standpoint, it makes sense for both to just do it now, you know, maybe we'll see a scenario where Fury fights him and then fight Usyk and then say he cleaned out the heavyweight division and then walks off in the sunset next year, for real, for real. Um, and then for AJ, you know, this would kind of if they were going to build him back up this will kind of delay that um but it would make sense from a business standpoint and so i'm not really excited to see it but i get why it will be happening if it does happen before we get into that man like first of all tyson tyson Fury's all over the place man he you know he went from retirement to calling out Derek Chisora, uh who lost you know who's coming off a loss and he then he made a video you know talking about usage and now he's calling out AJ, who just came off a loss too. But you know, um, like uh, Daniel was saying, yeah, you said I heard you said he had an injury or something. He's not gonna be ready to next year. So like from a business uh, standpoint, it does make sense, and it's it's the biggest bag. But uh, I I definitely got I definitely got uh, Tyson Fury winning that fight. I believe he's just uh, his speed, you know, his speed, his skill. I believe that's all gonna be uh, too much for uh, for Joshua, you know. With Joshua, with Joshua coming off uh, two back-to-back losses, this is not a fight I would like for him to take. But if I mean, if he wants the big bag, I mean, then then run with it. But you know, and another thing, um, Anthony Joshua had uh, Robert Garcia in his in his corner, and Robert, to me, Robert Garcia couldn't do anything for him. There was nothing he could do for him. So I would I would get rid of uh, Robert Garcia as well. But in this fight, I'm gonna definitely go for uh, for Tyson Fury. Yes, sir. I think. Um... I agree, and then I, I kind of disagree, and, and, and I'll get to that in a second, and, and here's why. Um, I'll get to that part, but here's what I think as far as the fight, just in general. I just think that Fury is all wrong for AJ, you know. I think that he's going to put put him through the ringer, you know what I mean, as far as the press conferences, um, the interviews, you know, you got a guy who's mentally tough in Tyson Fury, although he had issues in the past with mental health. He is when you get around him and you see him and you hear him and he's has a potential opponent, 
then he's one of the most mentally tough guys that you have in a sport of boxing. He's trying to break you, he's trying to figure out, you know, ways to, you know, play games with you psychologically. And so you're going against somebody who's really fragile in AJ. Now, on the flip side of that, this might be the best time for AJ to face him because AJ, after two losses against Usyk, he's desperate now. So he may be just willing to let it all out and he may be able to strike gold, you know, land something. Because Usyk, not Usyk, but um, Fury, he has a chance because he took them shots from Wilder. And I can't say that Fury would take AJ lightly. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't, I don't think that that would ever be the case because I think he may think that AJ is soft enough now and that, you know, he's psychologically in disarray, but I mean, Fury's just such a winner that I don't think that that would play a role. I think he wants to, you know, put some, put them paws on, on AJ, you know, so to speak. So if everything's on the up, if he's coming in and he's really, prepared and he's locked in for AJ. I don't see him losing. He just has too much. He can do too many different things. He has, you know, good footwork. He can outbox him. He can like set him up from some stuff. And AJ is just so basic that I can't see him having that much of a chance against somebody like Tyson Fury. But like I said, in this, this desperate state that he's in, I think that this might be the best opportunity for him. And where I was saying that I disagree slightly, I thought Robert Garcia, what he did for AJ against Usyk in the second fight is he was teaching AJ stuff, like trying to be bigger, but Usyk was just too good for that. And that's just not in AJ's nature. I think if they work more with one another in another camp or two, that he'll start picking up on those things. It'd become a little bit more natural, but it was just so short period of time that they worked together. But I did see something in AJ against Usyk in the second bout. I saw a mean streak in AJ. I saw a person who wasn't willing to like shake gloves and stuff like that and be okay with, you know, in exchange, just nodding his head like you got me and stuff like that. No, nah, he was trying to get some get back. That part of AJ, you know, I think that that is something that I want to see more of. And I think that Robert Garcia is somebody that helped instill that in him. And he's going to need more of that in order to be able to compete with um, the Gypsy King. Anything else on that? Yeah, I had something. Um, I also think that um, Tyson Ferry just doesn't, uh, not Tyson Ferry, but Joshua just doesn't have the gas tank to, you know, to go with uh, Ferry because, you know, I've read, I've read um, interviews, I've seen interviews where heavyweight fighters were talking about, like, when fighters, when heavyweight fighters clench on you and lean on you, that takes a lot out of you. You know, as the round goes by, you know, that drains you. And like if they if they're clenching and they're tired in the later round, if it goes in the later rounds, if they're clenching and tired and you know, Ferry's Ferry's constantly holding on them, I can definitely see that, you know, draining, draining uh Joshua's energy. And you know, with with Ferry, with Ferry taking on, you know, the most dominant puncher uh and Wilder three times, you know, I just can't I just can't see uh, you know, Joshua. I just can't see Joshua, you know, uh knocking him out or anything like that. But yeah, I think. I think this is definitely uh, a very easy fight for uh, for Tyson Ferry. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I agree. I just think that he's going to play it kind of safe. You know, he's going to soften, soften him up a little bit, and then he'll start really – you'll see that separation towards the middle part of the fight. Because Tyson Fury is a guy – he's another guy. Um, there are a few of them out there that are 15-round fighters who are fighting in the 12-round in the era. You know, he doesn't really show 
any signs of fatiguing later in the fight, even though it's physique, you would think that he'll be the one who get tired. Um, yeah, a couple more topics that we had, you know, in the news this week, your boy Shakur Stevenson, he said that it, it won't be long before I move up to 135, you know, you fellas be on guard, you know, what do you think about a potential Shakur Stevenson move up to 135? What's the ramifications of that? Yeah, I saw where he had talked about it in the interview. He said it depends on how this weight cut goes towards the end of camp for this upcoming fight against Casasial. I mean, the reality of it is he's growing into his grown man body very quickly. And there also isn't many people to challenge him at 130, you know. Um, in theory, the big names are at 135. But in reality, at least two or three of them have already moved up to 140, or they will soon. And so... You know, he said, tell them boys, get ready. I feel you, but I'm trying to figure out what boys, because Tio that's already moved up. You have Garcia, who's in theory already moved up. You have uh, Haney, who is probably going to move up after the rematch and probably a fight against Loma. So that will leave Loma, maybe Tank. That's, that's a big maybe. You got maybe like Jojo Diaz, and, and then you got up and coming guys like Frank Martin and, and Rivera, you know, the guy who has the Ali cut. So when I look at who will actually be there when he gets there, I hate to say it, but I see 135 kind of being a repeat of 130 for him. You know, he get an opportunity to fight for championships, absolutely. But that will maybe come after Haney has already vacated the belts, unless Haney's going to fight him, you know, at 135, which I would be here for. But outside of that, I don't see any big fights for him except for maybe Loma if, if Aram's going to do that. And even that depends on how that potential Haney fight would go between Loma and Haney. So I am tentatively excited for the move because of the opportunity, but I'm real cautiously optimistic about who he would actually fight once he gets there. It wouldn't be a big fight, but you got the pit bull right there, you know, ready to log on. Yeah, I mean... It would be an exciting fight. I think Shakur moving up in weight, you know, it's just just him, uh, you know, daring to be great because, you know, he made uh, – he beat Heron easily. He beat uh, Valdez easily. If he does – if he does move – you know, if he moves up to 135, I would definitely – if Tank is still there, I would definitely like, you know, to see him and uh, Javante Tank Davis happen. You know, I think um, – I think uh, Shakur ha definitely has the better skill, but uh, Tank has the power. So that's – that's for me. If that fight does happen, that's a tough one to call. But I'll, uh, I'll probably go for tanking that fight. But I say I think Shakur is, you know, just daring to be great because uh, he, he's made easy work of his last few opponents and he's moving up to another week to try something else. So, you know, big, big, uh, big props to Shakur for moving up. Yeah, Tank not fighting all day long. Um, Shakur Stevenson. Tank is is. I wouldn't be surprised if Tank wouldn't be fighting Abner Morris next. I wouldn't be surprised if that's not the next fight. Just in his, I don't necessarily think it's Tank. I think it's like Leonard Ellerby, Floyd Mayweather. They are milking him because they know that they got the fan base in order to be able to do it. We can sell this fight. We can sell Tank. People want to see him knock, out, knock people out. He has the charisma, you know, and people just like him. And people, and it's an event. You go see Tank Davis. You know what I mean? So he, they're not going to risk anything you know or having a risky fight like that because what they're going to say is going to be an issue with Aaron they can't do business with them when he fights somebody on this side you know they're going to be saying that type of thing so that's the dilemma that 
Shakur is going to be in. Like you say, Daddy, it's going to be 132.0. It's going to be the same thing. He's going to have tough, trouble fighting. As long as he's with Aaron, then it's going to be hard to get the PBC guys to fight him. Um, does it make sense financially? PBC seem like they having a tough time getting off some of the fighters that they, they got a whole bunch of fighters and trying to make dates for all of the ones that they have. And they're trying to do it in-house as well. So I don't know, uh, but here's the thing, is that a lot of those belts are gonna become available soon once Devin Haney moves up because this, his time at that weight, li weight limit is uh, slowly reaching its expiration date. And so, like you say, he has like this fight, maybe one more, um, but definitely a Tank Davis fight is not going to happen anytime soon. He will have to show like some type of vulnerability. And I still don't think that they will put Tank in the ring with anybody like him or Devin Haney. You know, I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to wait for that Ryan Garcia fight. And I think even those guys, like they're using each other as a marketing ploy, like, okay, let's fight. And then you know, they get people clamoring over the fight and then next, you know, they choose to fight somebody else. It's kind of like when, when um, before the Los Angeles um, Rams got their team back, they, people used to say that the NFL used to throw LA out there as if they're going to move a team there, but they're not going to move a team there. They're just trying to get other cities to put a lot of money in to avoid the NFL to go to LA. You know what I mean? And that's what they're doing in a slightly different way. They're putting each other's name out there to draw attention to their names, but then they're not fighting each other. And so that's the frustrating thing about 135 because a couple of years ago, they were talking about, we got four Kings and has any of the Kings ever got close to each other, you know, fighting, you know what I mean? And they have not, you know what I mean? So it's, it's getting dis disheartening. Um, but a lot of those so-called Kings are going to be at 140. Tank Davis might go drop down to 130 though to avoid Shakur Stevens. Anything else you guys have on that? I was going to say, I, I told you in the group chat, he going to make up his own weight class where he fights Shakur. <laughs> what's that weight? What, what, what's going to be the weight? 132.75. <laughs> For the Mayweather belt. Right. <laughs> That's it as far as the, the topics, man. We're going to go ahead and go into our next segment, man. Our next segment, what we like to do is the upcoming fights. You know, we got to do a, a couple of previews of fights that's coming up next week. You got a pretty big fight card coming up on Mexican Independence Weekend, September 17th. You got Saul Canelo Alvarez. He's still my number one pound for pound fighter in the world. He's going against old Gennady Golovkin, you know, the triple G-ster. You know what I'm saying? Danny, what do you think is going to happen in this one? Yeah, so in Canelo's last fight, you know, as we know, he was uh, outclassed by Bivol, but Triple G, you know, he's much smaller than Bivol, and he's not quite as defensively responsible. If you looked at their last fight against each other, you know, Triple G and Canelo, uh, Canelo, he gassed in those middle rounds, but he remained disciplined. He was resilient. Uh, he did some solid work to the body, uh, which I think ultimately won him the fight in those close rounds. Well, I didn't think he won a fight, but I think that's what made the judges give him the fight. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, he did also show that he wasn't rattled by Triple G's power, you know, which was big in terms of how it's going to play into this fight. Because when you look at what they've done since then, uh, Triple G, you know, he's fought Steve Rose.
Sergei Deverichenko, Camille Zaramata, uh, and then Murata in that unification fight earlier this year. And in that Murata fight, you know, he shook off a lot of rust after a long layoff, but he eventually got the invented style of stalking. He eventually broke down Murata. But since their last fight, Canelo, on the other hand, he's won a belt at light heavyweight against Sergey Kovalev. Uh, he's become undisputed at super middleweight, going to get the belts one at a time. And then along that way, he's developed more layers to his game as well. Uh, most noticeably on defense, uh, where his head movements got a lot better. So I think looking at where they've been since then and looking at their two, their first two fights, we learned two basic things in those fights. Triple G is not going to get a decision against Canelo and that a younger Triple G could knock him out. So by process of elimination, it's not reasonable to me to expect Triple G is going to get a decision uh, based on that, you know. And then he's also not getting a knockout because younger Triple G couldn't get the job done. So what do we think 40-year-old Triple G is going to do, especially with the Canelo that's coming down from 175? It's also somewhat hard for me, in my brain at least, to logically envision Canelo stopping somebody who's never been knocked down in 394 total fights. And so something tells me in my gut, I think he's going to wear Triple G's down to the body and get a late round stoppage. But I think I'm going to go with history, and I think Canelo's going to win by unanimous decision. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna go for uh for Canelo. First fight, I definitely, I definitely uh felt Triple G wanted. The second one, I definitely felt uh Canelo wanted. But um, and I also got to look at it like Canelo is coming off a loss against Bivol, but you know he, that was a fight he moved up in weight for. And then Triple G is coming off a stoppage against Murata, so you got Canelo's coming into the fight, come you know coming off a loss, and Triple G is coming into the fight coming off a stoppage. So you have to look at it from that perspective too, but. Um, I think Triple G, even though he got the stoppage, he's he's definitely been on a decline in his past few fights. You know, he he didn't look so good against Derrickingo to me, and I believe I really believe he lost against uh, Danny Jacobs. But and, and my gut, just like Danny said, my gut tells me that Canelo may get a he may get a late stoppage, even though you know Triple G's got one of the best chance. You know, like that first fight when Canelo Canelo fought him with a, a nice shot. You know, you know, Triple G ate it like it was nothing. But yeah, with him being older, um, something definitely tells me that he could, Triple G could get stopped in the later rounds. Yeah, I'm definitely uh, got Canelo on this one. You know, Canelo, he's already like a little edgy, little tugboat built dude. You know, he's coming off a loss. And I know in his heart, he doesn't like that feeling, you know? So I think that's really gonna motivate him more so than having him in a bad space coming in, into this one. And then in addition to that, he really doesn't like Triple G. When you had me on, um, Ty, you know, we discussed this a little bit as well. And, and I'm gonna mention some of those things that I said, you know, on your show as well, is that I think that Canelo, he deep down doesn't like Triple G for a couple of reasons. One, he thinks Triple G is fake. He thinks that he's putting on a, on a facade and that he says a lot of little slick stuff. And then when he's in front of the camera and he's in front of Canelo, then he acts a different way. Also, Canelo has a disdain for him because he felt like Triple G back in 2015 that he was trying to rush him, you know, into a fight right after he had the biggest win of his career against Miguel Cotto for the middleweight belt when they had a catchweight of 155. 
And so Canelo was thinking that he had a little bit of time to get acclimated to the weight class to really truly fight a couple 160 pound fighters and then set up a showdown with Triple G where Triple G was just right out the gate. I'm next, Let me, let's you know, fight, you know, Mexican style, blah, 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 this and that. And HBO was pushing him. And it, it, it got um, a movement going of people saying that Canelo was scared of Triple G. And so after the biggest win of my career, when I'm supposed to be, you know, praise now people just right a week later now they're saying i'm ducking this dude and this dude on top of that is not fighting anybody like at least who are you fighting dude like fight somebody first and then let's build up the fight even more but at the same time i'm doing so much heavy lifting and you're not doing anything why should i just right out the gate you fresh as i don't know what because you ain't been fighting anybody and so i think that that's what canelo was feeling and canelo like I said, he just has that meanness to him and he has that elephant memory, you know, of the situation, you know, that took place, you know, starting in 2015. And it's led him to this point where he wants to, you know, rid the boxing world of his old nemesis known as Triple G. Now, as far as both guys are concerned, obviously you guys mentioned this, Canelo has faced the stiffer competition. Um, I think that with that st stiffer competition that that, allows him to stay laser sharp with his skills. So, you know, still sharp and skilled, still. And then he's fought at 168 and even 175, and he's more so in his prime, where Triple G hasn't been fighting the greatest competition, which could lead him to being a little bit more preserved, or it could lead him to not being as sharp. And then also he's gonna be fighting at 168 for the first time. How is he gonna feel? How comfortable will he be fighting at that weight limit and adding those extra pounds? And then you got a guy who's in his prime still, and then you got a guy who's aging. You know what I mean? It's like, if you look at his, his, his dimensions or his attributes, you know, they slowly, you know, coming down. I don't know if it's to the point where he's primed to be, you know, stopped. But, you know, Triple G is going into this fight against this monster, man. And I think that Canelo is properly filled out at 168. The skills that both guys bring to the table, as I always say, Canelo is a methodical tactician, very good at counterpunching. He's defensively aware. He throws some unorthodox combinations. And I, I mentioned a lot of times where he was hitting Caleb Smith with some shots that Caleb Smith was prepared to block just a shot that would be coming at him from a normal angle but Canelo was like coming at him and just hitting him with some shots that he could never really prepare himself for and he lays good traps you know what I mean and then he's a heck of a body puncher with Triple G he relies on that stiff jab very heavy jab it's kind of like a a, um, a left hook as far as the power that he puts behind it he's really accurate cuts the ring off well kind of a stalker he has shown to have a really tough chin over the years but I like my man Canelo. I think that at this particular stage, he's built himself up against the stiff opposition that he's faced. He's at his peak in terms of his offensive prowess. And I just think that Triple G just hasn't done enough work in recent years to prepare himself for what he's going to experience on September 17th. And I think that he's going to start getting pummeled and either the referee's going to stop it, his corner's going to stop it, or them lefts and rights are just going to put him, you know, do the trick, you know, for Canelo. So I got Canelo by 10th round TKO victory over his old arch nemesis, Gennady Golovkin. You guys have anything else? No, I just, I just uh, add that um, even though, even though Triple G has like one of the best chins, 
he's he's taken in his second fight. He took he took numerous shots against Canelo, and like his his gas tank didn't look didn't look so great. He did look like he was getting tired and worn out. And I we we can go back to the uh to Cal Brook fight, even though he stopped Cal Brook like like the fifth round or so. Cal Brook definitely landed some um some big shots on him. You know, and like like I was saying, uh, Danny Jacobs landed some uh, nice decent shots, and he didn't look so good against Derechenko. So, like I was saying, with him with him being aging, and with the power that uh, Canelo possesses, I just believe that yeah, Canelo like Canelo could stop him very well. His corner could stop it as well. I tell you, what, I hope you're right. I hope you're absolutely right. I want my man Canelo to dust this dude off. The reason why I want him to dust him off, you know, what I mean, I love all boxers, man, but I just don't like how HBO was sitting up here praising this dude. He's a top 25 fighter in the last 25 years and all of this type of stuff. And dude wasn't fighting anybody, man. Like, come on. Like, let's not do that. And so I just want old Canelo, who's put the work in, you know, to go ahead and dust him off. You know what I mean? Rid the world of his old arch nemesis. On the undercar of their, of their, of the main event, you got my number eight pound for pound fighter in the world, which is Bam Rodriguez. He's the youngest champion in boxing. He holds the WBC belt at 115. You know, he's, he sports a record of 15-0 with 11 KOs, 5-4 with a 67-inch reach. He'll be facing Israel Gonzalez, a 25-year-old who has a record of 28-4-1 with 11 KOs, 5-6 with a 69-inch reach. What do you guys uh, see happening in that bout? I almost want to let you go for it. That's your guy, but I, I'll, I'll kick it off. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, Talk about him nice now. Talk about him nice. <laughs> <laughs> so Gonzalez, you know, he's no walking apart, you know, but he's also lost the lesser competition in BAM. You know, he he's mostly fought domestic fights in Mexico. You know, most recently beat Misiao Garcia Osvedo by unanimous decision in the eight-rounder back in April. But anytime he stepped up in competition to the world level, you know, he's lost to Argy Cortez. He's lost to Ancajas. Uh, he lost to Khalid Yafai. He's lost to Chacatito. And then on the other side, you have Bam. You know, he's a potential fight of the year candidate for what he's done so far this year. Coming off of wins against Carlos Quadras, moving up two weight classes for that one. And then successfully defending against Sora Rungvazai. So, you know, this is a step down in competition for him versus a major step up for Gonzalez. But this is also a chance for Bam to get a lot more eyes on him because he's co-maining a Canelo card. And so for me, I'm looking very forward to watching him display his talent. He's another one of those guys that has that fan-friendly style, but it's in a way where you just kind of just like marvel at what he's able to do in the ring. and You can't help but like him. You know, uh, the way he's worked those angles and, and things of that nature and sets up stuff. So I wouldn't be surprised if Bam stops him, uh, but I think I'm going to go unanimous decision in Bam's favor. Yeah, for me, I got Bam at uh, my number eight, you know, pound for pound fighter right now. And like you said, Danny, you know, he has amazing footwork, the speed, the angles, the jab, the timing. And he's one of those guys that's like a little wizard. You know what I mean? He appears to me as somebody who, you know, mom and dad is about to leave and they give him like just an astronomical amount of chores to keep him busy, you know? And as soon as they get around the corner, he's done with all the chores. He did them like to the best of they possibly be done. 
and he's out, you know, just chilling. You understand what I'm saying? He's just one of those guys who can pretty much do everything. And, you know, he's, he's, he's sharp at it. You know what I mean? I, I've seen him being trained um, by Robert Garcia, Robert Garcia telling him some things. And it looked like he wasn't even paying attention, but he caught on so quickly to what Robert Garcia was telling him. And like I say, that just, you know, I marvel at, at this kid and he's, is his humble nature. It's like, he does it and he doesn't have like any mean spirit to it. It's just, he's just so talented and he's so good, but at the same time, he's a tough competitor. So I really appreciate what the kid brings to the table. Um, that, like I said, that footwork, that speed, the angles, that jab, that timing is just superb. The footwork is like Finito Lopez back in the day. You know what I mean? At this young age, 22 years of age. I think that in this fight, Gonzalez, like you say, Daddy, he's, he's pretty good. He's a pretty solid fighter. There's going to be another situation where you're going to have a person who just doesn't have the power to be able to hurt somebody who you have to put something on him to dissuade him. And I just don't think he's going to be able to do that. And he's not as talented. He's not as good. So it's going to be a mismatch um, of in terms of how many rounds Bam is going to be able to, you know, be, you know, getting each and every round. So I, I don't think that I'll be surprised if Gonzalez gets around in this fight, but he does have fast hands and, you know, he has good boxing skills. And he, when he fought against Chocolatito, you know, he had a, showed a good account of himself. Like he was in there fighting really well. Um, I think Chocolatito might've took him a little bit lightly, um, but then he ended up getting it together and, you know, winning a clear decision. I believe it, it went to the scorecards against Chocolatito. I just remember he was doing really well at certain parts of that fight. But Chocolatito, um, as good as he is, I think that at this stage, my main man Bam is just on another level and he's not going to take him for granted like Chocolate Tito. Chocolate Tito just knew he was going to win. But the other thing that you mentioned, Danny, that's important is that I know that Bam knows that it's going to be a lot of people watching. And so his passion to be the best, he's on the cusp of being in, in, in most people's top 10 as far as pound for pound list that you don't want to waste this opportunity when you fight on Canelo's undercard. And this is going to be a prime opportunity for him to showcase those skills. I don't see this kid that he's facing getting out of the eighth round. If he was able to knock out, although they fight differently, if he was able to knock down Carlos Quadras, he was able to stop Sora side. I don't see this kid who doesn't have nearly the pop as those guys. I don't think he's going to be able to survive. So I suspect Bam is going to break. It's going to be a breakout performance for him. You know, he's going to continue uh, this title defense and hopefully wherever else may be out there for him. I just hope that this is a fight that's going to propel him to bigger and better things. You know, hopefully he'll get the winner of the Chocolatito Estrada fight. And I think that that's going to make him a mega star in a sport of boxing. This right here is going to put more eyes on him. It's like what, what, we, what we said the other day, you know what I mean? As far as, uh, as far as our podcast is concerned, you know what I mean? When I was saying that, um, at first, it's about branding. The branding was him, you know, getting the wins against Quadras, getting the wins against Sora Romaside. Now he's on this big stage on the Canelo undercard. Now it's about expanding his fan base. You know what I mean? And so I think that that's just what he's going to do September 17th. But if you haven't seen Bam, man, take a look at this kid, man. He's, he's, he's an amazing fighter. He has all of the skills that you want to see. And he's just seemed like a good natured kid. Any, anything else you guys have, man? That's a pretty solid show, man. I appreciate you, uh, uh, Ty, you know, for popping on, man. We had, uh, 
other guests has been very difficult, you know, who were supposed to come on. The two guests we had were remarkable, man. You know, awesome job, you know, on your end. And again, man, thank you so much, you know, for hopping on. Uh, where, where can the people catch you? You can catch me on uh, Facebook. It's Todd Finney. You can catch me on Instagram as The Legend 3347. And you can catch me on my podcast. It's called In This Corner. And so far, I got about seven episodes. Yeah, about seven episodes. You got anything coming so? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about doing a show this week, man. We just got to get some stuff jotted down, get some notes jotted down. And, you know, we could definitely make it happen. But yeah, but as far as now, I got about seven episodes. And I'm trying, I'm going to try to make something happen for this week. Yeah, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Again, man, appreciate you coming on, man. It's good talk. Good, good work this week. Danny, you got anything? Um, no, good episode. Uh, you know, good to meet you, Ty, and appreciate uh, you, man. What, what about your show, uh, Danny? You, you got any more episodes out there? I actually have one dropping either Tuesday or Wednesday for uh, the Monarch podcast, where I talk about business, life, mental health, uh, everything in between. Um, so, you know, if you guys want to catch that, if you go to podcast.themonarchbrand.com, um, or any major streaming platform and search the Monarch Podcast, uh, you'll see it there. Yes, sir, man. I appreciate you, fellas, man. Good work as always, Danny. And again, thank you, Todd, for uh, coming on this week and giving your perspectives on the topics that we discussed. On that note, man, I think it was such a good episode. It's, that's, it's a perfect time to end this thing. What you think, Danny? We did what we came to do. Yes, sir. We out. Peace. Right.